Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Teagan. On the show today, the co-founder of Tortoise, James Harding, on slow news startups and paid memberships. Paramount Plus is coming. How does it fit into the streaming wars? TV indie chief Cat Lewis tells us. And are the problems at the BBC's We Are England strand the sign of things to come? The Guardian's Jim Waterson explains. Plus, in the Media Quiz, we discover the old dogs learning new tricks and vice versa. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. Well, this week we've seen that Nick Clegg's got a promotion. He's now at the top table working with, but still for, Cheryl and Mark at Facebook uh, with a new title, President for Global Affairs. Also with a new job, the BBC's former Scotland editor Sarah Smith has said she's relieved to be heading to America after enduring years of bile and hatred. Uh, You know, it's bad when American discourse is seen as positive. Uh, Someone who's never had an impact on public discourse, of course, is Rupert Murdoch. The 1981 ban that stopped him interfering with the editorial of the Times and Sunday Times has been lifted by everyone's favourite culture secretary, Nadine Dorries, potentially opening up the chance for news to combine the teams on those titles. And combining things has worked out pretty well for Disney Plus, who've added 11.8 million subscribers in the final quarter of last year, taking the streamer's total to 130 million. Interestingly, 45 million of which are from Disney Plus Hotstar in Southeast Asia. Of course, Netflix still leads the pack with 220 million subs. And finally, Adrian Charles has won his £1.7 million battle with the tax man. However, it does mean that we now know he netted £6.1 million from ITV over his three years there. And joining me today are two people never far away from a million pound payday. First up, welcome back Kat Lewis, the founder and CEO of TV Indie Nine Lives Media. Kat, you've got a new show on BBC Three. How very trendy. Squad dates. T- tell us about it. I know. I'm so excited. It's a new group dating show called Squad Dates and it's landed this week and it's being repeated a few times actually this week. So if you missed it on Valentine's Day, do tune in. Please find it even on iPlayer. Has it been fun to make? It's been fantastic actually. I think the best part of my job um, is when I get to work with incredibly creative people and that we all kind of just from a notion that comes up in a group meeting and it was actually Nicole Hedgie-Michael who's our production manager who said in a meeting wouldn't it be great to do group dating? It's what I used to do with my mates. And um, 
So she's she's actually um, just got engaged now. So um, it is it is a couple of years ago that she did it. But um, but basically, it, it, we thought, yeah, fantastic. There isn't a group dating format. Let's create one. Well, that bodes well for the uh, success of all those daters. And I guess Songs of Praise continues unabated, nonstop, always there. Yeah, that's right. Every week, it's a real pleasure to make. We've got a fantastic team that I work with on that and fantastic presenters. So it's a wonderful show to make. I've just been planning a wedding and going onto YouTube to find what hymns sound like. There have been quite a few uh, probably not sanctioned clips of Songs of Praise to help me work out, do I recognise that hymn? Uh, Maybe that could be a media quiz uh, one day. Absolutely. And even better than that, I'm pretty sure that we have created a list of wonderful hymns to consider for your wedding. So if you go onto our website, we've got some information to help you along. Excellent. I will, I will do that. Uh, also joining us is The Guardian's media editor, Jim Waterson. Uh, hi, Jim. Uh, newsrooms have been a flutter about court cases uh, this week. We had New York Times, but also a case closer to home involving Bloomberg. What's been, what's been going on? I thought you were going to refer to Wagatha Christie as well there, but uh, we're far too high-minded, clearly, on, on, on this. Um, no, the, the, the case that has really been bothering news from this week is uh, ZXC versus Bloomberg, which is so hard to explain that it's quite hard to sort of really get people to understand it. But fundamentally, it comes down to the right to privacy uh, versus the right to public expression. And Bloomberg published uh, a factual document uh, that it had obtained uh, which identified a US businessman as being under investigation as part of a criminal probe. The individual was never charged with anything, the individual was never arrested and that they have successfully after six years uh, taken all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court has ruled that the right to privacy trumps essentially the right to publish this information. And so what that means is that it it kind of hardens that Cliff Richard verdict from 2008 and means that it's much, much harder for the media to report anything uh, where there is a potential criminal charge or where someone is in an investigation which could lead to a criminal charge if they are not ultimately charged. Now, that's that's kind of quite knotty, but it means that there is potentially uh, a lot of get outs uh, for when there is alleged wrongdoing. Uh, as part of an ongoing investigation, and that on you know at, at the low end that might make it harder for bad faith media companies to do um, scurrilous stories, but particularly in financial journalism, um, it makes it very hard. And an interesting thing was basically the court said uh, this guy's reputation uh, and sort of damaging his reputation impacted his right to a private life because it made people around him think less of him, and that is. That is potentially very, very worrying for the media because it makes it a lot harder to report things. Does it worry you and and your reporting, particularly when you're getting into court cases? Yeah, I mean, Mm. potentially it's also sort of will undoubtedly benefit people with a lot of money. uh, And that Mm. that is uh, the issue with the legal system at the moment. you know, but it, it took six years of Bloomberg fighting this and they still lost. It's interesting that the BBC didn't try and appeal the Cliff Richard verdict, which could have overturned this precedent to a certain extent. Now, I mean, the BBC messed up on the Cliff Richard thing when they, if people don't remember, ended up flying a helicopter over his house uh, because he was the subject to a police investigation that went absolutely nowhere. Um, and that has caused a lot of changes. And increasingly, it's privacy rather than libel 
that is the big risk that newsrooms are worried of. Uh, and that's quite hard to fight. The law is moving in one direction and one direction only at the moment. I just think I wanted to say how it kind of affects television programmes as well. Because obviously, although we all respect the fact that, you know, the police should have enough to charge somebody before it's, it then becomes a kind of big news story and certainly before you fly helicopters over somebody's house. However, you know, what, what it means is that in, for example, the whole area of um, love fraud, um, it does, you know, like everybody's talking at the moment, aren't they, about the Tinder swindler. That's a big, you know, popular documentary on Netflix. But it actually makes it quite hard to make those kind of programmes um, because a lot of the time, unfortunately, people aren't charged with those kind of cases because what, what's always said is that um, if I start a relationship with somebody and then, you know, they kind of persuade me to give them money, it's actually very difficult, um, even if they turn out to be, um, you know, to be a con person who then kind of, you know, walks away. It's actually very difficult if you have given money within a relationship, within an emotional relationship, to ever get any kind of redress, even if you feel that you've been really manipulated and lied to and, you know, have given that money effectively unwillingly in the long term. Um, and so it just, you know, it's been made it really difficult. We used to do a series for Channel 5 called um, Holiday Love Rats, and it was about, you know, quite tabloid series about people meeting guys on holiday and or, or women on holiday and getting in a relationship and then finding out actually they were being swindled. But it's really difficult because so few of those cases lead to charges and lead to conviction. Uh, we're talking about programmes and keeping an eye on them. Um, it was a footnote to last week's episode, a kind of a curio in our media quiz. Uh, but the issues at the new regional news strands at the BBC, We Are England, continue to grow. Um, Jim, you sort of stumbled across this story, maybe the instigator of part of it. If people missed the show last week, um, what has your Googling? Your Googling has caused lots of trouble for the BBC and their new regional opt-out. Yeah, I feel I feel slightly embarrassed because I slightly missed my own scoop by by I, I was browsing the BBC homepage while waiting for a call back on a different story and, and just saw this this thing about a crypto guy who uh, had some pretty obvious questions about uh, what was really going on there. And a quick Google revealed that those questions really needed investigating and the BBC didn't seem to have acknowledged them at all. So that led last week to the BBC pulling one episode of its new regional current affairs programme. And then over the weekend, they pulled a second episode of We Are England after failing to note uh, that they, they'd done a sort of um, a programme praising a dance school for its amazing work on mental health and failed to note an Ofsted report from last summer that said uh, kids were being left reluctant to eat as a result of the experience and words that were being said to them at that school. Um, it basically points to a load of compliance issues and a load of you know, a sense that maybe this doesn't have the editorial oversight and the resources it needs to do the sheer number of programs that they're trying to make on the budget that they've got. And it is kind of worrying because it points to all sorts of structural issues with the BBC. Uh, Kat, you've made loads of investigations programs, um, a lot of dispatches. Um, what do you make of, of, of these problems? I haven't read the evidence, but it does sound as if there might be you know, some compliance issues there. However, the principle of stopping making very regional programmes and using that money to make network programmes is a really positive thing. So the idea of kind of creating This Is England 
as opposed to having lots of kind of small regional programs around the country that nobody really watched is just reflective of the way that modern um, media is moving and it's really important for the BBC to keep up so for example I know that Squad Dates, you know, our new group dating show, has benefited from that change because the money that BBC England have used, because they have 50% funded Squad Dates and BBC Three have 50% funded it, you know, that programme wouldn't be made if those changes hadn't um, been decided upon by the BBC. So what they're trying to do is use the money that they used to to use regionally, which, you know, for programmes that didn't get huge audiences and that had kind of, you know, staff that worked on them for 10, 15 years. And those staff, you know, who are very, very talented are now able to kind of work on the kind of shows that we make. It's just kind of, it was just a, a move to update, you know, the BBC and, and bring it into line with the way that the television industry has moved. It's this kind of gr- growing pains of trying to do more with less have they got a have the bbc got to rethink the scale of what they do otherwise they'll come they'll sort of face more of these issues well pers- you know the bbc make more news programs than anybody else you know in the country and i you know used to be a bbc news reporter and um it sounds as if somebody's made some mistakes on one program it doesn't it doesn't mean or one series it doesn't mean that the whole of the bbc needs to be criticized and analyzed as a result because you know certainly when i was making local news programs um and newsnight those kind of obviously every program every news program the bbc makes it takes incredibly seriously and and doesn't usually make very many mistakes jim analyze and criticize for us I think that you've got a problem here where you've got rid of uh, an investigative strand called Inside Out that, for better or worse, did some really worthy public service journalism. And you've got these series of Panglossian little profiles of community figures who turn out to have not had rigorous journalism done on them. Like, you're three weeks into a series and two of the episodes have been pulled um, because of problems with the show. I mean, that is not a good sign. This isn't just sort of some errors in a news report. This is this really points to there aren't enough staff. And you talk to people who are working on this programme and they, people were flagging to me well in advance of this coming to air that there were going to be potential issues because of the lack of staff. And basically, politicians cannot accept that the BBC cannot do what they want it to do with the money that it's got. They are saying you've got to cut the budget they then cut the budget and then demand more regional programming because they think that that matters and it gets them on air. It's a complete mess. You, you, you need the BBC basically either needs to accept it can't do what all of what it needs to do and just be frank with people, or just I, I just don't see the point in putting out series that aren't up to scratch and just ruin the BBC's reputation more. I agree with you, but that doesn't mean that Inside Out shouldn't have been changed. It's just very kind of, you know, stick in the mud to say, oh, we can't move forward as an organisation. We can't change the way we spend money. We can't reflect the way the audiences are viewing. Because the reality is that that will just lead to the BBC folding because it's got to reflect the way audiences are viewing. And it's pointless having, you know, people all around the country, you know, literally working as staff for 15 years, building up the cost of pensions, you know, making programmes that aren't investigative a lot of inside out wasn't investigative you know it was just it was just nice kind of you know local documentaries but not a lot of people watched them it's far better i think that, you know the the way that they're now spending the money through bbc england 
um, you know, with companies like mine. However, they've also got to get the journalism that they are doing right. And they know that and they will get it right. OK, well, let, let's move on and be interesting one to keep, keep an eye on. Uh, over in Consolidation Corner, we can see another media brand or two to be retired. Viacom and CBS are both to be rolled into one name. A different one, Paramount. Cat, um, why uh, is Viacom CBS becoming Paramount? I guess it's kind of better to have one brand, you know, and that whenever companies merge, it, it sometimes takes them a while to to then decide how they're going to kind of, you know, show their their company to the world. But it does seem sensible to me. I mean, I'm you know I'm a big fan of of, of working with them. I think they're a great company, and um, you know, if it, I, I think it, it is simpler. Obviously, in the UK, they own MTV and Channel 5. Um, Jim, in the Battle of the Streamers, where does Paramount Plus rate? Well, in the UK, no, nowhere, nowhere at all yet. I mean, it's still, still not on the cards. I, you know, I see these US companies uh, belatedly realising uh, that they need to launch around the globe. And as a, you know, as a consumer, I find it confusing as to what I'm going to get with what, because Paramount doesn't really mean much in the UK. So Paramount Plus launches here and I go, right, what's on this? I don't really know what a Paramount show is. Um, and then you end up sort of trying to work out how does this fit in with my five and things like that. Uh, and, and I'll be honest, you know, I could, I could try and overdo this as an industry analysis, as a consumer, I'm kind of at the limit of what I want to pay for in terms of streaming subscriptions. And that's about the sort of standard two or three a month that I'm willing to cough up for. And I don't really want to take on more just for the sake of some old South Park episodes or whatever. What's on your, what's on your list? What, what makes it to your Premier League? Uh, I've got uh, Netflix, which I sort of have a love-hate relationship with. I have Now TV, which has my favourite content, but the single worst user interface of anything uh, and then sort of Amazon Prime, but that's mainly for the free delivery, and I sort of reluctantly dip into when they've got a good film on. Um, I, um, I, 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 you know, and, and maybe, oh, and Awful. I quite like paying for Awful because it just, I can't stand the number of ads on it. So that's, that's, that's my three or four. I mean, Cat Broadcast revealed um, some of the launch titles for Paramount+. Plus. I, did you manage to have a look, and did any catch your eye? Um, I didn't, but I suppose for me... Paramount, I do always associate, I do kind of have an idea about it, not a kind of really clear idea about how it'll be distinctive from um, Netflix. So I kind of agree with Jim on that. Um, but but obviously, for me, I, I kind of do associate it with South Park, with films, with kind of, you know, that kind of thing. But equally, I don't know whether we would, you know, start paying more, you know, because we've got kind of Netflix, Amazon, Disney, you know, it does start to add up, doesn't it? Well, uh, Star Trek or Paramount Plus will be the home of all the millions of Star Trek series. So if you're a Star Trek fan, that will be the streamer to get. Uh, as they, I think there's some of it's on Pluto at the moment, but it'll, it'll all move over to, to Paramount Plus later on. Uh, it's also where Ben Frow has gone. He used to obviously be a Channel 5 boss uh, and now he's sort of UK Paramount Plus boss. Do you see any of his fingerprints on the UK launch? I think he's, I mean, I think Ben's a genius. I, I first worked with him like back in the 90s, you know, we worked together on this morning. So I've known Ben for a really long time and he was a kind of genius then, a tetchy genius. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> no, he's fantastic. I mean, you know, I'd put him in charge as well because he knows the UK market. He knows what people will go for. And I think it is, yeah. I, I, as I said, I didn't read, manage to read the broadcast article, but... 
Star Trek, you know, I knew I had a 70s connotation. It, it just does make me feel kind of warm and, you know, homely as a, as a concept just because I associate it with my childhood, I think. Well, I think one of the, the, the new series will be a Sexy Beast prequel. That'll be uh, on the list. Um, Jim, do you think they've got to kind of roll everything into it, all the MTV channels, Comedy Central, the US shows? Um, have they got to do all of that to try and make a mark? But then you just end up risking putting it all behind a paywall and no one subscribing and you've got sort of 50,000, 100,000 people and you're struggling to really get the numbers up. Uh, I, I, I mean, I just wonder how many of these services really can survive on the fringes because you've got this sort of strange thing that if you if you have one or two shows, you basically become the star. Why not just be the Star Trek subscription package and have that as an add-on to something else? Why not just be the South Park subscription package? Because at the moment... I just can't see how we end up with six or seven or eight sustainable mass market streamers because people just don't want to pay for all of them. So you, if, if you need to have the scale to make them profitable, how do you get the scale if the market can't sustain that many? It just, it's, it's, kind of, it's going to inevitably got to at some point lead to consolidation, I'd have thought. Uh, thanks both. Uh, now on to our feature interview this week. Uh, Tortoise first went live as an online news site in April 2019. And when I sat down with co-founder James Harding, he just raised another £10 million for the self-styled slow news publication. So my first question was, three years on, is the business where he'd expected it to be? I don't think you can do a startup and and know where you're headed, especially if, like me, you've lived in big newsrooms in the FT, the Times, the BBC. We started out the first year. I couldn't quite see how you would do journalism that was original and investigative and forceful and audio. I was so brought up in print in the written word, it took us some time to get that. And to be honest with you, my colleague, Kerry Thomas, who was the former editor of the Today programme on the BBC, he was the one who from the start, and then when Basha Cummings joined us, um, together with her, the two of them kept on pushing us to say, look, there is a real place for a different kind of journalism in audio, in podcasting. And that's, I think, the biggest change. It's the biggest change is we originally thought we were designing news for the small screen, and now we think overwhelmingly where people will get it is in their ears. So do you think that sort of transition away from text to audio is about what the market's into and where maybe money's supporting that direction as well? Um, or is it that there's a gap there or it just suited the people that you, you, you brought together at, at Tortoise? So when we got started in 2018, we spent the time really building the company and thinking it through. And at that time, we had these three heresies that we held really dear. One was that we were going to be a slow newsroom what's driving the news, not breaking news. The second was that we were going to be an open newsroom, that we were going to do journalism for our members, with our members. And the third was that we were going to be interested in what happens next. We weren't going to have that classical journalistic thing, which is just, you know, we do the story and the world moves on. And so you wanted to figure out a way that you would stay true to that. I think what we found was that there are just an enormous number of words out there on the internet and that there are more and more all the time. And so to create a journalism that has a real impact, yes, it's certainly true that we discovered real scale in audio. We found our audience growing 
And I think, you know, you mentioned the fact that we're just completed a fundraise. Part of the reason I think we were lucky to get a new group of investors behind us, in addition to some of our existing ones, was that I think they can see that there's the capacity just to keep on growing that order, audience, to multiply that audience. So yes, there's a group of people out there who take a different approach to trying to understand the world, but it was also a way that you could do journalism that was aligned to the ambitions we had at the start. So it was a it was a new way of storytelling in line with the interest, the ambitions we had for our journalism to begin with. I don't think, Matt, that the change in the way you tell stories has no impact on the way in which the stories you choose and the nature of your journalism. So we're really alive to that and trying to figure it out as we go. Because a big part of, of your beginnings, obviously there was sort of a Kickstarter type approach, getting a lot of interest. You're a member organisation, looks like probably around 100,000 paying members maybe. Right, so the paid membership is just over 50,000, 55,000. Right. There are probably about 100,000 additional uh, members who are signed up in one way or another. They might be a trialist, they might get a newsletter. Right. But I think that the the numbers that we look at in terms of how do you get to a place that you have a really sustainable, different kind of news business, a different kind of media company, is that paid membership. Our members are really quite different. Some of them essentially pay themselves. Some of them are paid for by their companies. Some of them are paid for by others. What we're really keen on doing is, you know, I said to you, it's open our news. It's, it's informed by our members. For that to work, you want to have a real mix of people. And so that's how that, that, that mix comes together. I mean, from the, the economics of that, we see a lot about membership and particularly actually support of, of, of podcasts, whether that's through Patreon or through subscriptions like Apple's platform. The supporter is more than just someone wanting to bust a paywall quite often. You know, it's people <laughs> who really kind of buy into what, what you're trying to do. Do you think that's reflective of your members or do you think it's people who want to read Matthew Dancona's articles online? Um, do you think they're, they're tied to the cause and your things like Thinkins is there to bring people in? It, it's a real mix. And actually, the person you really want to speak to is Katie Vanek-Smith, who's my co-founder, who came from the Wall Street Journal, Dow Jones. And we'd worked together at The Times. We'd taken The Times from free to paid and digital. And we'd also at that time, and the thing that really interested both of us from the start was, how would you create a newsroom where people could come and participate in different ways? So some of them are coming really just to listen and learn, to to consume the journalism that you're doing. Some of them actually like the fact that what we've really tried to do at Tortoise is build a newsroom that is welcoming, that's open, so that they can come and be a part of it. In fact, later today, we hold our weekly open news meeting. The thing we're trying to do is figure out how best do you cover the pandemic in the UK? What did we learn from COVID and how is the UK performance compared with the rest of the world? Rather than having that meeting behind closed doors, we seek to have it openly. Is that participatory with with your members, or is it giving them uh, an insight in, or just an insight into it? It's absolutely both of those things. The insight into it, I think, is valuable in that it actually keeps us honest. It's a way of making sure that people are looking at the way you're working and asking, uh, asking or having a point of view on what you're doing. But it's absolutely and at its best improved by and sometimes even initiated by the thoughts, experiences, views you've had 
from members. And so when we go back through the sort of history of the journalism that for us has worked, it's often been in thinkings that we've heard about, oh, look, let's look at private social media groups and how that's affecting politics in the UK. Or, you know, someone came to our newsroom and talked about the way in which their university had responded to a sexual assault and prompted us to look at campus justice. Even in the stories that we're telling that come from, let's say, traditional sources, part of the value of the thinking is helping us to understand, well, is this an edge case? Is it something more systemic? And often we hope that gets beyond just telling the story, but to thinking about what happens next. And so, uh, as I was saying, I suppose there are people who've come to listen and learn, people who are coming to be a part of it, people who want to contribute to build the journalism that we're building. And so that's a really crucial part of what we're doing editorially. And the thing that interests us is could you have, if you like, the guarantors of your independence and the integrity of your journalism also be the cornerstone of what you're doing commercially because the members aren't the whole business but they are the cornerstone of it so you've had kind of three years out of a, a sort of traditional corporate environment um very aware obviously deborah Tanes is taking on your old job at the bbc i'm sure she doesn't need any tips she's done loads of things all around the world i guess i'm always interested in whenever you start a new job there's things you have to learn about an organization or things that, that you realize that perhaps you'd wish someone would have told you in advance anything you could tell deborah in <laughs> advance to help her hit the ground running about there, there, there are two problems with this question one is obviously when i joined the bbc i never worked in tv radio um, and so moving to broadcasting was a whole change for me and actually I went to go and see Deborah who was then working in the States in New York for NBC to get some advice uh, so I think it would be a little rich for me to then go now I'm <laughs> going to put my give her advice which she really doesn't need she's a brilliant appointment for the BBC it's a fantastic thing that the BBC managed to persuade her to leave ITN which wasn't easy because you know she was really kind of breathing life into ITN and and that's an organisation that was just sort of getting a new running speed. So the first problem is she really doesn't need any advice from me. And the second was, that said, when she was appointed, I thought to myself, you know what, there are a whole bunch of things that, on reflection, I wish I'd done earlier. And I'm going to send her a note that shares my great wisdom of what I should have done and when... and. I sat down to write her this lengthy text and then in the end thought, no, you don't need that. And so I sent her and said, no, send a message. I said, that's absolutely brilliant news. They're really lucky to have you. I think that I think the only thing, the, the thing that I would say, you know, if she was sitting here in the room with, with you and me, is what I basically say to everyone when they start a new job, which is those people who say, Go gently, listen hard for six months, 12 months until you really get your feet under the desk and then make your decisions. Don't do that. Listen to what you think at the end of your first four to six weeks. Those instincts you have about an organization and its culture and ways of working are more likely than not what you really think about the place and you should pursue those and really, and really go after them. And you know, the beauty of the BBC is it's the most extraordinary news organization in the world and it can reach everyone 
and and everywhere and so you really have the room to go and do something that's very impactful that was james harding and each week our patrons get an exclusive deeper dive with our guests this week is no exception so if you want to hear more about tortoise's strategy uh, what makes a tortoise story and the role of washing lines uh, just sign up at patreon.com slash media pod and if you are signed up you can also get our recent chats uh, all about sustainable production with albert and the lowdown on the recent rage ass too just sign up at patreon.com slash media pod and we'll be back with more media news and of course our weekly quiz after this Hello, I'm Roisin Hasty, and this is the brand new Radio Academy podcast. You get something coming out of your radio and you know it's live and you know it's a special moment, then it really does cut through, gets to people. We've got loads of brilliant guests from the industry lined up to tell us all about projects they've been working on. An improviser never knows exactly what they're going to go and do on stage and this was exactly the same but on the radio. Don't miss this week's episode with Jackie Brambles and her producer Alex Toll talking about their new show on Greatest Hits Radio. We're honoured to be the first up. Yeah. Absolutely. We're going to have to make an impression here aren't we Jackie? You are setting the standard. (laughs) Subscribe now to the Radio Academy podcast with me Roisin Hastie on wherever you get your podcasts from. The Media Podcast heartily endorses our recording software, Riverside, and in turn, they support the making of this show. And yes, while I'm sure you've been invited to use many a broadcast solution over the past few years, this is the one we've settled on and have used for over a year now. It's reliable, has excellent quality and great little features that allow you to clip out HD video tailored to your social media platform of choice. Plus, it's all uploaded in real time, and the backup feature means you don't have to worry about your guest's bandwidth. High quality, reliable audio and video recording, what's not to like? Riverside is used by brands from Microsoft to TED Talks, Marvel to the New York Times, but more importantly, by this show. Uh, To give it a go, head to riverside.fm and use the code MEDIAPOD for $15 off any Riverside subscription. There's a link in the show notes, but that's riverside.fm and the code MEDIAPOD for $15 off. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Welcome back, Jim and Kat are still with me. Um, problems at Channel 4 News where the use of NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, on employees has been questioned by former Culture Minister Maria Miller. Um, Jim, what have these NDAs been used for uh, at Channel 4? That's in relation to uh, people who've had employment disputes, so it's more about HR issues, but obviously there's the issue uh, around, uh, obviously Channel 4 did a lot of reporting around NDAs and the use of them, particularly in relation to Harvey Weinstein. Uh, It's not a great look and there's also been an attempt to link it to the incoming BBC News boss, uh, Deborah Tanes, who is obviously currently CEO of ITN. There is, I get a lot of emails from people about HR issues in the media and concerns about how certain companies are run and I always welcome it. If anyone's listening to this and wants to get in touch about any more of them, uh, feel free to to get in touch. Um, And you know, it it doesn't tend to point to a particularly healthy industry, particularly I'd say more in television than any other arm of it where often people are on freelance contracts and reliant on one or two uh, senior bosses who get to sign off work contracts. That's often the issue that they're still quite centralized as power structures go in TV compared to other bits of the media. Um, and yeah, I, 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 it is hard for Channel 4 to justify this given their own reporting and ITN as a corporate entity probably needs to work out uh, where it stands on this. Kat, is it a surprise to you that um, this is a topic that's that's popping up? I think that whenever anybody kind of, you know, sets themselves up as the questioner and the organisation with the moral high ground, that has to be reflected at every level of the organisation. So I think if this leads to changes to contracts, obviously that you know, at the moment um, we're being told are that this is just part of their boilerplate clauses, you know, then maybe it shouldn't be, you know, if they're criticising others for using NDAs, then I think they need to kind of analyse, you know, their own work practices. But that's the same for all of us. We've all got to make sure that we get HR right. And television doesn't have a great reputation for HR. And it's really important that we do as as much as we can as individuals to improve it. Have you ever been forced an NDA? Because sometimes I feel that are they worth the paper they're written on? Have you have you ever had to help hold anybody to a an, an NDA? No, I haven't, and I, it's not something that I use other than if if um, say I wanted to talk to a creative about a program idea that I hadn't yet p- pitched to a channel, then I might ask you know for somebody to sign an NDA, and equally I have signed NDAs in those kind of circumstances if people bring ideas to me. Jim. Well, the thing I find when I'm reporting on uh, alleged wrongdoing in the media industry is often that the NDA acts as sort of, uh, even if it's not legally enforceable, or even if we'd be able to find a way of publishing a story that someone had signed one in, the issue is that the source is reluctant to speak to you in the first place Mm -hmm. because they remember signing this piece of paper and are fearful of losing perhaps a settlement package. So often the effect isn't so much the enforcement of the NDA, but the fact that the existence puts fear into people and makes them reluctant to speak out. It's something that chills, can often act as a, you know, can chill people, right. can't it? Uh, all of which brings us to the glamorous world of the media quiz. Uh, this week it's entitled Old Dogs or New Tricks. So I'll give you three media properties in the news this week. You'll tell me if they're about to perform new tricks 
or joining the decidedly old dog media guard. So old dogs or new tricks, three rounds, buzz in with your name if you know the answer. So Kat, you will say... Cat. And Jim will say... Jim. So let's play old dogs or new tricks. Question number one. News UK. Old dog or new tricks? Jim. Jim. Uh, this, what do you think? This is a, a, it's a new trick and it's definitely a trick because it's an NFT, which is a very real and sustainable thing that the whole industry <laughs> is losing its mind over. Uh, so NFTs, non-fungible tokens, what are news wanting to do with it? Uh, my Guardian colleague Mark Sweeney revealed that they are wanting to explore how to sell NFTs because there's so much money sloshing around. Why can't they turn their unique sun or times experiences into NFTs? Quite, quite what form that will make, I don't know. But if you've ever wanted to own a JPEG of a, uh, a Times front page, then you'll soon be able to pay a lot of money for it. Well, an uh, NFT straight to you for getting question number one right. Um, uh, question number two. Uh, so, old dog, on, old dog, new tricks. Got this right. So, question number two, old dog or new tricks. Uh, the UK TV channel W. Cat. Cat. <laughs> so, it's going, it's, it's going free to air? Instead yes. of being behind a pedal. yeah. Yes, so and it is becoming an old dog. Yeah. Why? Why do you think it's deciding to go free to air? So previously, it was part of, I guess, a subscription package, or it would it would take some money from the platform operators. Why go free to air? I think because it's what Jim was saying. You know, people are only prepared to pay so much, and actually, it's a really good channel. It's very popular. It has some great content, and I think it can kind of build its viewers and build its its revenue elsewhere through that. And finally, number three, uh, Alfred Daly. Jim. Jim, uh, old dog, new I, tricks. I, I don't even know whether this is an old dog or a new, maybe it's an old dog learning a new trick. Uh, he, he's, this, is, this is him launching his new podcast radio station, as I learned about on the excellent Matt Deegan newsletter. Uh, oh, double points, uh, I think, there for, for Jim straight away. Yeah, so um, this is um, this is a, a pod. I think it's old, I, I think it's probably a new trick. Learn becoming an old dog because uh, they are a daily podcast, which has been very successful in Shaftesbury, very kind of hyper local podcast. Um, but they've turned themselves into a community radio station and are expanding their material and, and, and doing more. Um, is it fun to see community broadcasters doing interesting things, Cat? I think so, definitely. And the great thing is that if you're, you know, great at podcasting, why not? You know, I think that it's um, it's a really good way to expand. Uh, well, uh, well done, Jim. Um, uh, two out of three there. So you win a special media podcast, episode 170 NFT. It's on the blockchain. You can claim it from there or just right click and it'll be fine. Um, uh, that's our show for today. My thanks to Jim Watson and Kat Lewis. Kat, where can people find what you and Nine Lives are up to? On our website or ideally go on BBC3 by the iPlayer and watch Squad Dates. That's yeah, what just I'm pushing loop, today. Loop it. Just loop every it. Month round and round, <laughs> round. And Jim, how can people keep up with your writing? Uh, I mean, it's probably best if they don't. But if they want to, then uh, then then my, my Twitter feed is full of uh, useful rubbish about the media and, and some occasionally interesting stories. Uh, so that's at Jim Watson. And I guess people can send you tips through that as well. 
Please send me tips. All stories about the media are appreciated. My DMs are very much open. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this episode, show us you mean it by doing all or any of these things. Uh, you can tell your colleagues about the show on Twitter or LinkedIn. You can take out our Riverside.fm trial using the code MEDIAPOD. And of course, why not become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash MEDIAPOD and get access to all those bonus features. Plus, remember, follow us to hear new episodes when they drop on your podcast app of choice or by visiting podfollow.com slash the media podcast. Uh, my name is Matt Deegan. You can find my weekly newsletter about the audio industry and more at mattdeegan.com. The producer was Matt Hill with support from Phoebe Adler-Ryan. It was a Rethink Audio production. I'll see you next week. Hold up. 